You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hello, everyone. This is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. On with me today is Barbie Young. Barbie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So Barbie, I'll be honest, I don't know Barbie that well, but I've gotten to know Barbie uh, recently through a mutual friend, Michael. Uh, I won't use his last name, but he was a great podcast. Um, and uh, Barbie, I'm fascinated because, you know, one of the things like I'm always thinking about in terms of guests is like if I have my audience listening, like what can they learn? And Barbie's one of those, for me personally, what, what I'm really impressed with is her ability to do different things when she feels motivated and, and called to like move on. She's not stuck and she's got a great um, experience. She's, she's been in the nonprofit world. And I think, I think she's just got a lot of wisdom in terms of career that uh, you'll find helpful. So um, Barbie, maybe we could just start it off. You could tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. I know you're in school, but kind of what you've been doing recently, maybe how you got into it and we'll kind of just take it from there. Sure. So what I'm currently doing is I, I spent many years in the nonprofit industry, which I absolutely love. Uh, but uh, after being the mental health part of nonprofit for several years, I saw a major need to preventing mental health crisis versus uh, trying to solve the mental health crisis. So I'm very much focused now on prevention. I've gone back to school in lifestyle medicine and also nutrition. So I'm figuring out, you know, what we're doing to really hurt ourselves and our mental health and how we can protect that and move on. So that's where I am. So stay tuned. So I do want to get into the history a little bit, but I guess one of the questions popping up is what's the, what's the why behind this, the calling? It's not, it's not like you're out there. Uh, selling computer chips or I'm trying to think like, you know, at Amazon and technology, like you're, there's a calling here. And I'm, I'm curious where that comes from. Well, I think that's this need that I have to see a social problem. And if I can figure out how to fix that or be a part of fixing that, then it just fills my cup. And that's kind of what led me into the nonprofit industry in the first place was that I just had a a hunger and a drive to make a difference and to help people. I didn't really know how to do it or how that would pan out. It was not a, a linear path by any means. I think it was more of like a big, messy way I ended up there. But it's been an adventure, that's for sure, and a, a lot of fun. And I think yeah. nonprofit can actually be really fun. I think I have fun at everything I've done, really. So again, I tell me if I'm wrong, just shut me down. But like in your earlier in your career, was it more about maybe different voices in your head and money and, and, or whatever. And then over time, was that an emptiness or, or, or am I totally like not seeing this right? Like I, I'm curious if this was a story of you're going down this road and then you started seeing the value of like being more of service. It was, I was on an entirely different path beforehand. So my vision of what success is, I can kind of share with you how that became a reality. And 
I don't think a lot of people really can define what success means to them because there's just the standard, which is you make a lot of money or you're famous or what does that look like for you? And then we miss these other pieces that are part of our human values. So when I, I grew up in a very, very small town in Eastern Washington, we had like one stoplight. And in that, in, in my days of high school, if you got to go to college, you, you were special. And most of the kids from my town, they got to look at, do I get married? Do I go in the military or McDonald's? Those are your choices. If you get to go to college, good for you. And I thought I was going to get to go to college and I wanted to be an artist, which apparently I didn't have very good mentors or role models if I thought I could just go be an artist. But um, my dad was actually in a, a skiing accident when I was a junior in high school and he broke his neck. He became a quadriplegic. And so kind of my plans of having like a normal life were shot at that point. I knew that I was going to have to probably take care of myself and also take care of my dad, which was a lot to look at when I was 17 years old. So after high school, without the funds for college, I looked at the three M's and said, I don't want to do any of those. And so I flew off as far away as I could. And I became a nanny in Boston for a very affluent family over there. And that's where finally started seeing like what success, the way people define success, what that looks like, which is a ton of money and a ton of stuff. And I, I liked that stuff. I wanted that. But then I also saw kind of this lack that they had too, which was they didn't really have meaning or purpose. And the kids were coming out without that meaning and purpose too. So that was something that was always brewing inside of me. And I came back and moved to Kirkland to care of my dad. And his dream for me was to get a steady job. And I got a steady job. I was an office manager. And it was torture for me because I hate sitting still. I hate having to be somewhere nine to five and doing administrative tasks. Like the mundane is my enemy. And I was living that world and I just could not stand it. And I couldn't imagine continuing that route. So I got into direct sales and I started selling party light gifts. I don't know if you've ever heard of party light gifts. Par Say it again. Party light gifts. We sold candles and home accessories. Okay. Which is, it was like home Tupperware parties, but with candles and home decor. So I went out and I just got paid to party. And I'm apparently very good at that. Nice. Because uh, within five years, I was the top rank of the company. And by the time I was 40, I was one of the top 500 income earners in MLM entirely in the U.S. So I made my money. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved that business. But direct sales was kind of shifting. Yeah. And I started having that feeling again of like, well, what's my purpose, my mission, my value? Where can I put this? How do I fill this cup? And I was really comfortable in my direct sales. I was having fun. But I don't really, I look at being too comfortable in my comfort zone, like something needs to change. Like I need to step out and 
take a risk and get a little bit scared. Yeah. And I don't do things like just a little bit. I do them all the way. And so I said, what's something completely opposite that I could do that would fill that need that I have to give back? And um, what would that mean? Can I stop this big income with direct sales and go into nonprofit? And I did. I retired by age 40 from direct sales and decided to step right into nonprofit. And I was the executive director of the Kirkland Downtown Association. So we did all the events in Kirkland, mm. like Summerfest, Fourth of July. And I loved it. It was so much fun, but it was completely uncomfortable. It was just an entirely new world. I had so much to learn. And, but it just really kind of sparked joy. And the people, I got to know incredible people. There were so many parts that I just adored. So it was a shift. And that's kind of how I started off in nonprofit. Yeah. So lots of, I'm just thinking about um, small town girl moves to the East Coast. Like what a 180, right? And then, yeah. and then like, even like, def, I don't want to say definite. I talk a lot about like definitions of success, authentic success, but like when the op- opportunities or options in small town were McDonald's or whatever, and then you're around some, I mean, East coast money, it's just a different level, right? It's old, old money. Um, it's gotta be, it's kind of like getting in a fight and getting punched. It's like, what, you know? I, so I, I imagine that was hard. So did you ever, um, I guess the question I'm asking is like, the pressure. Did you ever feel like, cause the reason I'm asking it is cause I think there's young adults and people watching this podcast is they feel that pressure. Maybe they grew up in Medina or Yarrow point or Hunts point or Mercer Island or Newport beach or where, you know, around money. Uh, and like I grew up around money and I remember my definition of success was always tied to being wealthy and and it just was normal, but it was a pressure. It was like this exhausting race that was, it got tiring running, right? Cause that's just your world. Did you feel that way? Or did you feel pretty, I mean, is that why you jumped into direct sales or did you feel like, Hey, I saw it. I don't need to be part of it. Or was that part of your journey? Well, I never felt outside pressure. I think all my pressure came internally that I knew what I was capable of, even though nobody else did or nobody else believed in me, I did. And so I once I got a taste of all these other things out there, all these other ways to live, that just increased my pressure inside. Like I can, you know, Mattel said, Barbie can do anything. And that was my role model. <laughs> that motto of like, I can do anything. Watch this. And if somebody told me it couldn't be done, oh, watch this. I'm going to do it. So I like doing difficult things and proving people wrong. <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. So let's get into nonprofit a little bit. Um, you know, I did have a pod podcast guest recently, or actually a couple months ago, and she's been in that world for a long time. And, and one of the things that stuck in my head when we talked was um, how you have to be comfortable with like the intensity of what you you're dealing with. And I, and I I don't know, I don't want to say that's your experience, but what, what's the biggest surprise that you've had working in the nonprofit world? Like 
what what caught you off guard? I mean, you sound like you're very smart. You probably knew what you're you're getting yourself into, but what surprised you? Actually, I didn't know what I was getting myself into at all. I had no idea what to expect, but um, everything really came as a surprise because it was such a different world. So I, every day was a huge surprise. The one thing that I didn't expect is that it would not feel like a job. It would feel like it was fueled every day by passion. And when you love what you do, you never work another day in your life. And it felt that way to me that I got to go and do these things. And, you know, I'd lay my head on the pillow at night and just feel like, oh, I did good work today. You know, I helped a person or I made my entire community happy today. There was just a feeling there that I had never really had before that way. And that's what really started making me think the nonprofit world is an incredible place to, to be. And it's never the same. There's not one day that's ever the same. And there's a lot of creativity. Yeah. I mean, the smaller the organization, the more creative you can be. But I didn't expect that they'd be so creative or they would allow me to have my big ideas and make them come true. And so that was probably the biggest surprise is how much I loved it and how it kind of hit all these things that I love about work. And there was flexibility that I didn't expect. And also, you know, people think nonprofit and you always think that means free, you work for free. <laughs> well, you can make a decent living in nonprofit. And most people don't even know that. So I think it's important to know there's a lot of jobs that are comparable to big corporations. Yeah, and no, I, so I, I love that. And I told you, my mom was kind of in that world and she did really well. And I do think that's an assumption that's not accurate as far as you got to be poor if you want to be in the world of nonprofit. Um, yeah. which is not true. So tell me, I mean, not to get negative, but what is it that you don't like? I mean, what, so if you had a, a child that's like, Hey mom, I want to do nonprofit just like you, what would be a couple things you might warn them about? <laughs> um, well, I'd say before you got into a nonprofit, I'd want to take a look at their finances and make sure that they were strong and stable because if you're strong and stable, it can be a lot more fun, but if you're just fighting for your life every day of trying to stay afloat, then the stress level gets very, very high. And, you know, the other advice would be to match your passion to the place you work. So if you love animals, look into animal nonprofit. You love mental health, go into mental health nonprofit. I mean, if you look across the board, there's a nonprofit for everything. And I think Lisa Dupar was even talking about a, a chef's nonprofit to help mental health. So they all kind of work together. So just making sure that it fully aligns with your, your own value system and what floats your boat. And then go give it a shot. And if you try it, just start collecting all of the skills that you'll need for any other job if it doesn't work out. And you do that. Like it's just the same type of skill level you need so the, that's a that's a cool point the, the skill set transfers right so it's a like sometimes i i don't know about you but i felt like in certain jobs i'm wasting time like i was selling long distance for at&t 
years ago and I was trying to convince people about uh, our six, six, six second incremental billing versus 30 seconds. So you could, or the call time delay, you know, we were two seconds better than uh, our competitor or whatever. And I was like, and then I'm just like, I thought I'm not, I'm not getting better in life at all. I'm just kind of passing time. But I, you know, years later, I realized some of those sales skills of setting up meetings and talking about things that maybe don't excite you. I learned a lot. Um, but I think what are some of the skill sets I would say, uh, nonprofit, like what are some of the, obviously you have to have a big heart. You have to have, you have to believe in the cause, but what are some of the things you can kind of look back on and say, you know, these are things that I took to the next job, or maybe as you get into the world of nutrition in your next chapter, what are some of the things that maybe you took from the world of nonprofit that will help you be better? Well, I think when we look at one of the higher paid positions in nonprofit, so I've always been executive director because I like to lead, but development can be a really good area that transfers right into any other sales job you might want to do because you're just selling the nonprofit. You're going out and you're raising money or you're getting sponsorships. You're selling every single day. And so that piece would transfer into any sales job. The, you know, running an organization, you, you have a little piece of everything. So you do finance, you do part of the admin grants. There's just, you get to touch everything when you're in a leadership position. So I've learned so much and just like really filled out my skill set with everything I've learned. Yeah. Um, but for me, the, the sales has been probably the most powerful just because I've been able to strengthen all the nonprofits I've worked at yeah. by pulling money in the door and then we can do more things with that money. So. Which is hard. I mean, you got to sell somebody on a vision or a dream or a emotional, you got to, you know, you got to like, whether let's say human trafficking or kids that are um, homeless. I mean, obviously we all want to help, but I think what the, the I, I've realized in my own experience, asking for money, for example, is very difficult, but there's a lot of people care, but the step from caring to actually contributing um, I think it requires a special skill set of somebody to get them to actually help out and spend money. Um, I don't know. Is, was that hard for you? Cause I, I think that would be hard for me unless maybe I was really, really into the cause. Well, and that's again, why I would say be really into the cause, because if I was trying to do that for something I didn't believe in, or it didn't have huge passion, it would be hard for me, but because I won't do that. I have to have passion for what I do. It was so easy for me. And that just became what I led with, which was I wanted everybody to give our nonprofit money so we could do these things with it because this needs to get done. And I think that kind of passion shows through. But the majority of people do not like asking for money. And that's why, like in a development position, if you can become good at asking for money, you're going to be hugely successful in the nonprofit world. So if there's one skill that you can learn, it is asking people for money for something good, not for your own pocket, but for yeah. For but doing I mean, like, something great. Yeah. Would you're, when you're talking to, I mean, like you're really talking about 
you say pick something that a cause that you're passionate about, but like this is what my podcast is all about. Pick a career that you have some kind of alignment with in terms of um, your skills, your interest, you know, something that lights you up. So in the world of nonprofit, I mean, I would use the same verbiage, you know, find a cause that lights you up. Um, one of the questions I have is years ago, I almost got involved with uh, human trafficking and it was so heavy. I'd go to the meetings and I'd get angry. Um, I'd get be like, I want to go get the bad guys and take them out. And I remember coming home just like not uh, in a good mindset, like in a, and the question is on some of the nonprofits, I would assume it's really heavy. Like if you're dealing with kids that don't have a home um, or human trafficking, how do you, how do you put that, how, how do you leave that at work? You know, when you have a family or kids mm -hmm. or uh, how do you, cause like to me, that would be hard for me to do. And it is very hard to do. And a lot of nonprofits, when you're serving such a need, like I was, I ran NAMI Eastside, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness during the pandemic, nonetheless. So we know what's happened in mental health and mental illness. And so my exposure every day to some really deep, heavy, dark things really required me developing a new skill set, which was to be able to just cut that off and, you know, move into coming home to my family. But it's just setting a boundary that it has you have very, very clear boundaries where you have to take things in perspective and find the good in that day. It's like, well, did I help that person a little bit? Yeah, I helped them a little bit. So I'm going to focus on that goodness or, I, you know, it's I could sleep and think I'm never going to solve this problem. But what's something little that I did that made a difference? Is there one little thing? And then I just focus on that bright spot. And then you can't see a lot of that darkness. It kind of just quiets, quiets that dark out of it. So does that make sense? Where yeah. you, you just have to focus on the little bright spots. Or, you know, for me, I just kind of sometimes pretend I was in a sitcom. <laughs> so I didn't take it too personally. It's just This is just part of our sitcom for the day. Yeah. These things happen. Mm -hmm. What if, I, I'm also thinking about like certain causes that never go away. Like you're never going to fix the issue, right? You're going to maybe, and I'm not, maybe it's different for the different causes or nonprofits, but I would assume like certain things, like it will always be an uphill battle, like hunger, people on the streets, homelessness. Um, like, I, I, like if you know, deep in your heart, like, or your, your head, you're like, I know I'm not going to eliminate this issue. Do you just have to take a different mindset and let, I'm just going to chip away and do what I can and take the little victories and even though I can't fix the big problem? Right. It's like a, a big cake that you'd never be able to eat the whole thing. So what are you even trying for? But, you know, what's my slice? What's the size of slice that I can eat? And what's that look like to me? So I'm just going to take a slice because I can't eat the whole thing at the same time. And I'm not going to try. but if I have a slice every day, that cake will be gone. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, so I was going to ask you, like, what would be advice you'd give to somebody that's like dead set on, they don't want to, they, they have no attachment to money. They want to, you know, pay the bills, but they want to change the world, the environment, you know, or whatever the cause is. Um, 
would the advice be something, okay, you said pick a cause that you have a passion towards to don't realize that it's, it's, you know, you, the little slice of pie versus, you know, realize you're not going to change it all on day one. Like any advice that, you know, that you might want to give to somebody that's like, this is where I'm going for sure. You know, you know, is it spend some time, think about what you're passionate about and then try to reach those people in those nonprofit. I mean, what is the advice you'd give to somebody that's thinking about this career? Um, well, I think there's a couple pieces to it. So usually people do get into it like, oh, I want to solve the human trafficking problem. And then you start to realize how big it is. And it's like, okay, well, what can I do with my skill set to make a difference? Maybe just show people how big it is. Like the the documentary about human trafficking, like that person who made that documentary wasn't out to necessarily solve the problem, but their piece of cake was, I just need to show the reality of what this problem is, kind of give a picture of what it looks like and draw attention to this area. And it worked. And so they may not solve it, but they've certainly made a huge difference just with one activity with that. And so that's how you really have to back up and take perspective and say, you know, what piece am I really going to make a difference on? And it might just be if I help one single person, that is success to me. If I help a, you know, a group, I give a presentation in a classroom and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. Great. Okay. That's what I'm taking home with me today yeah. is that I made people aware of something that's happening. So it's all perspective. I love that. Um yeah, and are you referencing the Jim Caviezel movie? Uh, yes. In fact, I, the name is skipping me. Yeah, so he's a local guy that um, I was trying to get him on my podcast. So he was an actor that was um, played Jesus in that Mel Gibson movie. But he's yeah. the one, he did this movie with somebody else. And uh, and wow, what an impact he's made. I mean, he's, I think what what surprises me is how many people were surprised. Like, I knew about this problem, maybe not to the level I should have, but it just seems like I was surprised that so many people were in the dark about it. Oh, absolutely. It, I mean, it opened my eyes. And, you know, there's other nonprofits too. When you're looking at, when I say you want to be very passionate about nonprofits, I think you also have to be careful of knowing your own triggers. Like what is something you would not be able to separate from because it is so heavy? And that might be like working at a pet shelter. Are you going to take all those pets home? You, I probably would. So I know I probably shouldn't go into a pet shelter and do work there because I'm going to have 700 dogs by the time my first week is over. So knowing kind of, kind of boundaries there too, of like this wouldn't be a healthy thing for me to do. Is there a different aspect of it where I'm not going to end up crying every day and being heartbroken. What aspect of this can I do in this area? Yeah, I love it. I, that's such a good point. I went back to school for psychology and it was PsyD and I was, I loved it, but we do a lot of role playing. And, um, and I realized like, you know, if I'm working with a young boy who's being abused by his dad, 
I just realized I'd probably eventually knock on that door and <laughs> I don't know what, you know, I would probably, um, I'd want to have some more. Yeah. I'd want to, I would want to take the dad in the backyard and, you know, it's, I realized like, I can't do, and it took me a couple of years. I was going to night school and I'm like, I can't do this. Like, this is like, I'm going to get kicked out or I'm going to get my license revoked or something. But the whole trigger thing is really important. Um, what would you do if, I think we're close to the same age. So if you could rewind the clock, go back to the small town, you graduate. I know your dad had just had that accident, but knowing what you know now, would you do anything different? Um, well, I'd love to say I would do so many things different. I think the one thing I would have done early was educate myself consistently. And now like I read a book every single week. And I think if I was 17 years old again, I would just drink in books about things I needed to learn about. And as I read a book, I'd be like, oh, this really sparked me or, oh, this didn't. Um, maybe I want to go this direction because now I find a lot of my inspiration come from the things I read where I'm like, oh, okay, I want to look more into this. And I start to go down a path, kind of how I started going into the protective part of mental health where I started reading books about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. I need to make a difference in mental health this direction. And so it would slightly pull the direction just from knowledge. Yeah. So I think if I had access to you know, all the books I wanted. And we, if we had Audible back then, it would be great. <laughs> do you, but, are, is it all nonfiction or do you ever escape with some, you know, trashy novel? You know, I'm probably about 80% of, you know, nonfiction, but I try to drop in a novel every fourth book or so just to kind of lighten it up. Yeah. But yeah. I love it. Um, it's funny because I'm always like, I love to read and improve, but I also sometimes just want to like, it's like t turning on the TV, just want to turn everything off and just kind of, I love movies. And I think that's why I love movies so much because it gives me a chance to shut Very that cool. part of my brain off, which seems to be hard sometimes. Um, now your next chapter is nutrition and you've been in mental health. And I'm, I was thinking about, you know, my wife, is very knowledgeable and credible in the world of nutrition. And there's a lot of connection between the gut and the head, the brain. And, and just there's, I mean, it's so amazing the, you know, and we have a lot of experience dealing with this, um, is nutrition a result of all the mental health issues and then your awareness and realization of how it's so tied to the gut and what food we eat. Yes. In fact, um, I went to a presentation, probably five years ago. And it was the first time that somebody had talked about gut health actually being the driving force for mental health. And I mean, it was just one of those moments where I was like, what? And it's like, oh, yes, our heads are actually part of our body. Our brain is part of our body. But how much work our gut does that influences our brain just blows me away. And that's where I feel like if we're going to start helping somebody, um, you know, come out of depression, it's like, let's look at what you're eating, what you're putting in your body, um, your lifestyle habits. And I bet you, if we can clean that up, this gets cleaned up too. And it's been amazing to see the results. 
of that. So tell me, shut me down if I'm wrong on this, but like you, in nonprofit, a lot of times it's reactive, right? You're trying to fix a problem and then you start understanding where the problem. So has your journey been about not getting tired of being reactive, but just wanting to get to the root of it and getting preventative because you want to fix the problem, not just react to it? Yes. And I, and I know that's a, especially for mental health, it's like, that's a, a huge undertaking to want to fix a problem. So I'm looking at it of, again, what's my slice of the pie where I can really make a difference where there's a need, how can I fill that niche? And, you know, there's a lot of different nonprofits that work in mental health and there's not a lot around nutrition and mental health though. So I love that's it. why I thought, well, I'm going to take my experience and I'll be ready. I love it. I'm proud to say my kids have never had fast food and my daughter is a freshman in college and my son's a sophomore in high school. Um, my wife is, it, it drove the moms crazy back in the day. And then I understood after a while I, I, I bought in, but um, just the power of healthy food and, and um, so good job. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for your next chapter. And I think if you're watching Barbie right now and you're listening and you're like, she's done a lot. I think the thing that I want you to remember or, or think about is it's okay to shift gears. You know, we were talking before I hit record and she was saying, sometimes when I get too comfortable, I want to move on. And, you know, I was like challenging her, not challenging her, but I was like, you know, it's okay to be comfortable. It's not like if you have a good relationship, it's time to go find another guy. I mean, but I think there's a voice in your head when you know that you're hungry for something more and being brave enough to kind of go for it. Because I think a lot of people don't go for it. And that's that feeling of being stuck. And I think it's, that's the feeling that's uncomfortable is kind of doing the same thing every day, expecting different results, but you know, there's something else, there's something more. So just being brave and taking a risk, but making a calculated risk and researching yeah. as much as you can about it. And asking for help or asking for a mentor or for guidance, there is so many people out there who would be willing to just say, I'd love to talk to you about this. I'll show you how to do it, show you how it's done. Let's do that. And a lot of that happens inside of nonprofits too, where you can say, okay, I want to learn how to do development, but I'm writing your newsletters. And as somebody's mentor, I'd be like, come on in. You can just shadow me. I'm going to show you how to ask for money. It's a very simple skill. Here's how it's done. Practice it. You're going to be excellent. And they moved on into development and have been very successful with that. But just saying, I want to do this. Can you show me? How? Mentor me. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's not amazing. It's, I think people naturally want to help. They want to give back. And I think when you're young, sometimes you think you're being a pain in someone's ass, like, you know, informational interview or, but I think we all like me at 53. I mean, I love having conversations with people that want to pick my brain about whatever. Um, and I think if you're thinking that you're bothering somebody, I, I think people want to help. So I, hopefully that will inspire people to kind of reach out. And then, you know, I also think about the, the kid in a small town like you, and they're maybe watching this and they're like, you know, they think they're going to go work at Ace Hardware or some whatever. And they, they don't even have the examples or role models in their life to think about anything but that. 
Um, can you speak to that person right now that feels, I don't want to say trapped, but maybe limited in what a career could be? Because look at you. I mean, you, you've, I'm not saying you're a small town, but you were in a small town and, and you've done all these things. And I don't think a lot of people maybe think that's possible. Yes. Well, I think it's very possible. And, you know, back in the late eighties, we didn't have all this great podcast information. We had to go to the library and try to look things up. So there's a, it's a much different world where I can now Google anything I want to learn about. And there's shows on TV that have all these different career paths on them. So I think there's a, it's a different landscape for kids these days where everything is accessible at their fingertips. But when they're watching a show or when they're looking at something online, or maybe it's this podcast, just asking like, does this ring my bell? Is this the direction I want to go? Is this, would this make me fulfilled? And does it work with my values? And especially for our young kids, their values are truly defined purpose and meaning. That's really an important part. And it's a lot of what's missing when they take a linear path and go, well, I'm going to be a lawyer because that's what's expected of me. And that's how I make money. But are you going to be fulfilled in that? Or how are you going to fill your cup outside of your work? And which direction are you going to go? But just research and know when something looks terrible or if it's like, oh, I might give this a shot. And especially a nonprofit, the, I think one of the most beautiful things is you can just wander down and volunteer and find out more about it and say, oh, let me find out about the culture here and the people and you can try it on before you ever apply for a job. Or, you know, if you have experience, bring your experience and join the board. There's a lot of different things you can do besides work at a nonprofit as well. So uh, going back to, okay, let's say you just came out of school and it's interesting. What would be step one? Just would you sit, go to a coffee shop, sit down and talk about you know, the causes, I mean, how would somebody who's kind of lost that wants to go down this road, what would be a good first step? Um, well, I can tell you what I did. I had a friend who uh, worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And when I decided I'm going to go into nonprofit, I just met her for coffee and really picked her brain and asked questions about it. And wanted to know everything that she knew or any direction she could help me find the right thing in. And she was incredibly helpful to me. So who around you could be that helpful person and just pick their brain and say, I have so many questions. And a lot of the questions you're asking, of, you know, what would be surprising? Or what are some of the difficult things about it? Yeah. And how much money could I make with that fit in my life? So lots of questions but people are available to answer those all the time. Yeah. My mom, I'm really proud of her. She's chairing the Seattle children's board. And I think there's like three or four of them or five. I don't know, but it's a big job. And uh, I've always looked up to her because she, she, she's affected a lot of lives and, you know, and not to get too deep or philosophical, but, you know, we, I think we both have had success financially making money. Um, and that's fun, but 
my experience is like, I love money. I like the freedom that comes with money, but eventually it's not an empty feeling, but it's, um, that's not enough. Right. And, and I think for people that might be thinking about they're caught in between, I want to make a lot of money, but I also want to help out. I think there's a middle ground and maybe you make money on the, on, on your side hustle. And maybe on the weekends you serve food down at union gospel. I don't know what it is, but um, you've been great. Is there anything I haven't asked or anything on the tip of your tongues that you want to share with the audience that, um, as we end this? Um, you know, I think I have a, a quote that I think speaks to me, especially now in my life, which is by Einstein, but it's, uh, try not to become a person of success, but a person of value. And that will help define what success means to you. What's your value? Yeah. I love it. Um, I think that's it for me. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. And as far as your next chapter in nutrition, is there a way, do you have a site up yet or how can someone reach out to you if they're curious or, I mean, are you going to do one-on-one with say, um, somebody that's struggling with some kind of issue or like, what is your, what's your angle here in terms of adding value? Well, my, Big picture is that I'm going to be doing some presentations for larger groups of people okay. um, on these different subjects about protecting your mental health They're on all the different pillars of lifestyle medicine. And so my choice is to go big with it. I can also, I'll be doing one-on-one coaching as well, but that'll only be about 20% of my business. So January 1st, everything will, that's my kickoff date. Nice. So like the Bellevue Club, we talked about that or a a corporation that wants to offer value to their employees or whatever, right? Anybody. Yep. Absolutely. Works for anybody. I think everybody eats. So I've got a pretty good (laughs) group of people. Good audience. That's a good demographic. Uh, Do you eat? Okay. So how do they (laughs) find you? Do they just Google Barbie Young? Uh, I think a lot of people probably know me and also I'll be doing a little bit of marketing too and reaching out to some people okay. I've worked with in the past. So they can Google Barbie Young, but it's live it up coach. Live it up coach. Uh, I was thinking live- about people maybe outside of the community, like people you don't know. Yes. And maybe they're in California and they got a business and they like you and they think it'd be a good fit. So uh live it up coach, is that right? Live it up coach. Yep. All right. Thank you, Barbie. Okay. Thank you. Have a great one. You too.